Mark chapter 15. Look at verse number 33. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. We just saw a video about that, the darkness and how, how death had seemingly won. It looked like death in the grave had won over Jesus Christ. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, uh, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, uh, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them stood by when they heard it, said, behold, he calleth Elias, Elijah the prophet that was dead for hundreds of years. And one ran and filled the sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed on a long stick and gave it him to drink, saying, let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. So this is the Easter story. But now look at verse number 38. We're, we're, Jesus is on the cross right now, right? Look at verse number 38. All of a sudden, it changes direction. The scriptures changes completely what it's talking about. And the veil of the temple was rent. It was torn in two, in twain, from the top to the bottom. Odd, right? Odd detail. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Now turn to Matthew chapter 28. And keep that in mind. That's an important detail that we'll be getting back to, that the temple veil was torn. Okay, Matthew chapter 28. Reading a little bit of scripture this morning. Stay with me. In the end of the Sabbath, in the first verse here of uh, Matthew 28, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and other uh, Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning. So he looked like, you picture Zeus, right? And his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him that keepers, the keepers did shake. The people who were supposed to watch the tomb, they were shaking in their boots, literally seeing this angel. And became as dead men. They were stiff. They were catatonic. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus which was crucified. Here's a great verse, verse number six. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And that right there, that one verse, the whole universe transitions in that moment. Because Jesus is resurrected. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. But I want to I say thank you for celebrating the resurrection of Jesus with us here this morning. This is a very interesting passage of scripture that we're going to be looking at. And we're celebrating today the death and resurrection of Jesus. Hopefully you guys all know that. The death and resurrection of Jesus. What Jesus did changes everything. Nothing is the same because of Jesus. The resurrection is so important and so meaningful that you can separate the, the whole of human existence into two categories. You have before Jesus and you have after Jesus. That's how huge this one moment, these three days are in the uh, span of the universe. You can separate all, of hum, all the human experience, all of humanity between these two points, before Jesus and after Jesus. Before Jesus died and resurrected and after Jesus died and resurrected. Because of what he did, nothing in this universe, in this world is the same. Nothing is the same in the human soul because of what Jesus did. So let's talk about what Jesus did. What did Jesus do that was so important? And we're going to get into that. But I want to ask you guys a question first. How many of you guys have ever uh, been on an obstacle course before? How many of you guys know what an obstacle course is or you've been on an obstacle course before? An obstacle course is, uh, is, is, is a, a track 
that you run on or jog on that has, well, obstacles on it, has barriers on it, has stuff that's trying to impede you from moving forward, has obstacles. There are obstacles on an obstacle course. So I looked obstacle courses up on YouTube as you look everything up these days on YouTube or Google, and I found a, a lot of um, I found a lot of funny videos about fails, epic epic fails of obstacle courses, and, and I want to illustrate this point to you because this is what we feel like a lot of times in life. This is what we feel like a lot of times uh, with God is that it's just an obstacle course. There's one barrier after another. Feels like we're stuck, and so I want to kind of illustrate this point to you. What obstacle is what? What what life is kind of like? Like that. That's me going through life. You take one step forward, two steps back. Feels like you're stuck sometimes. Feels like there's barriers. We've all felt like that, right? We've all felt like that in life, where we're just trying to move forward, trying to do the right thing, and sometimes it just doesn't work out the way we want it to. We feel stuck. Well, for many people, that's how they feel about God. They feel like he's too far, too unreachable, too difficult to reach. He's too high, too far, and he's too big for us to reach. Or that we're not good enough, we're not religious enough, we're not put together enough for Jesus Christ. And so we're, we're on this obstacle course, this spiritual obstacle course. We can never quite reach God. He's always a little bit too far. He's always like the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's always just a little bit farther. We can never quite reach it. Many people, I'd say all of us, have felt at some point in our lives like this when it comes to God, like he's just so far from us. We've all, we all feel this or we all have felt this. Like there's a barrier between us and God. There's days when I wake up, I just feel like, God, where are you? Where are you all the time? And sometimes we feel like that in life. For thousands of years, this is actually how it was with the Jewish people. There was an obstacle, a barrier literally between mankind and God. For thousands of years, this is how it was with the Jewish people. A barrier was between them. So let me give you some historical context. This is actually really important to the Easter story. In ancient uh, Jerusalem, the Jewish people built a temple dedicating, uh, dedicated to worshiping God. They, they had this Jewish temple. They sometimes called it the tabernacle. And they had worship. They, had, they, they worshiped God in this tabernacle. And later on, they worshiped God in the temple. In this temple, and I have a picture of this temple, what it would look like, the tabernacle. And it was, it was, it was, it was a very, very intricate structure that they were to build. It was a sacred place. And in this temple, there was a place cordoned off where no one could go in this tabernacle. No one can go. You could, all the people could worship wherever they wanted, but in this one room. Nobody could go into this one room because they said this is where the presence of God resided. They called it the Holy of Holies. And only once a year could the high priest enter into this place called the Holy of Holies and meet with God on behalf of the people to forgive the people's sin. This is what the high priest would do. Only once a year could he go into this one room, and it was walled off by a giant drape, a, dra a giant veil. I don't, think we, I don't know if we have a picture of it. I want to show you guys right now what that looked like. And this, this, uh, this, would, this veil would separate the holy place from the rest of the temple. This was a massive veil, and you have uh, the, the, the tabernacle here, and this is the veil. It would, uh, it would seclude the, the Holy of Holies where God was said to reside in. Obviously, the Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. If you guys don't know what the Ark of the Covenant is, just remember Indiana Jones and the, uh, the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's the Ark, same Ark, it's the Ark of the Covenant. And so this, this, this Holy of Holies where the presence of God would re reside, it was cordoned off by this massive veil. I brought this here with me this morning to kind of uh, illustrate this veil, only it was huge. It was, they said, 60 feet high. 30 feet wide, and it took, they said, at least 300 priests 
to move this drape. It was this massive. They say it was at least an inch to four inches thick, this veil was, this drape. It cordoned off, well, everybody from the presence of God. Nobody could come before God because they were sinful, they were broken, they were full of shame. They could not stand before the presence of God and live. The veil kept God at a distance from the Jewish people. Communication was broken. The re, uh, the, their relationship with God was separated because of this barrier. So why is this veil important? Because this veil is a representation of our brokenness. It's a representation of our sin, of our shame, of our failure, of our sinful nature. That's what is so important about this veil is that it's a representation of what's keeping us from God. It's a representation of our sin that's keeping us from God. Again, we've all felt this. We've all wondered, God, where are you? God, why don't you answer me? God, why can't I feel your presence? Why does it feel like you are so distant from me? In the book of Romans, the apostle Paul tells us what the cause of this feeling is. That, that, that feeling inside of you where you're wondering, God, where are you in my life? He says, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He's saying this, this sin that we have is separating us from God. You see, if God was here, this is my sin and this is me separating me from God. This is our sin, our shame, our brokenness, our failure, our sin nature, and it has walled us off between us and God. There is no communication, there's no relationship because of this sinfulness. So the barrier between us and God is our brokenness. It's our sin nature. We all fall short of God's standards. Take the most simple uh, standards that, the, that God has for us, the Ten Commandments. You take maybe even just four of the Ten Commandments. Simplistically speaking, this, one of them is uh, don't lie. Don't covet other people's stuff. Don't value other things above God. Don't take God's name in vain. Just four of the Ten Commandments. Well, I don't know how, how many of us, if any of us could say, well, I've kept all four of those. Don't take God's name in vain. Don't value other things above God. Don't lie. Well, I'm definitely guilty. I was guilty of those things when I was like three, right? I broke all four of those when I was like three. Maybe the only one I haven't done is, well, there's a couple I haven't done, but there's a lot of these that we've all, we've all been guilty of this. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't believe the Ten Commandments. I don't think those, those, those don't, okay, make up your own standards. What are your own standards for living? Maybe it's to be a good person. Maybe it's don't be lazy. Just what standards do you have for your life? Don't get drunk. Don't have a temper. Just take four right there. How you doing on that? You broken any of those? Be a good person. Don't be lazy. <laughs> don't have a temper. Don't get drunk. I'd say, see, we all fall short. By our own admission, if we, were, if we were, even if you were to say, oh, I don't believe in God's commandments, take your own standards that you've set for your own life. We fall short of those. By our own admission, we fall short of reaching God. We all fall short. So what did Jesus do? See, that's the bad news. What did Jesus do? We've all fall short. There is this, this veil, this drape, this barrier between us and God. So what happens? How do we remove this? How do we get rid of this so that we can have communication and relationship with God? Look at what Jesus did. Mark chapter 15, verse number 37. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. You know what gave up the ghost means? He died. Eventually he died on the cross. And the moment he gave up the ghost, the moment he died, what does it say? And the veil of the temple was torn. It was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. So for thousands of years, there was a veil separating God from everybody, from everybody. Sin could not stand in the presence of God. 
We've all felt that distance. But the moment Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn in half. What did Jesus come here to do? He came to remove the barrier between you and God. He came to be, uh, move, remove the barrier between us and God. Jesus was our middleman. The death of Jesus tore the veil so that through Jesus and because of Jesus, we have full access to God. And there's a picture of the ripped veil, torn in half from top to bottom. The reason Jesus was able to tear in half the barrier between mankind and God was because he himself was torn. He was the one who was torn for us. He was able to tear the veil because he was torn, because he was bruised, because he was beaten, because he was broken for us. Jesus didn't give the payment for our sin. He literally was the payment for our sin. And this changes everything. You don't have to pay your way to God. Jesus paid your way to God. That's why this, that little detail, you see that little detail that Mark gives us in verse number 37? He says the veil was torn from top to bottom, not bottom to top. Why is that important? Because a man would rip the veil from bottom to top. Only God could rip that veil from top to bottom. 60 feet high, 30 feet wide, and uh, in, in one to four inches thick. Only get, what's the point of that? He's saying that man could not get rid of the barrier between us and God. Only God could get rid of the barrier between, between us and him. Only God could rip it from the top to the bottom. Just as Jesus is the only one who could tear the veil of our sin that stands between us and God. Is, this the, me is the message of Christianity the message that God has separated himself from us and we are trying to make our way back to him? No, that is not the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is that we have separated ourselves from God and God has made a way back to us. That's the message of Christianity. So many of us think, many people in this world have this idea that Christianity is all about us trying to make our way back to God. Jesus already made his way back to you. On the cross, he made his way back to you. He made his way completely back to you. That is the message of Christianity. And Jesus died to atone our relationship with God. Atone, literally at one is what that word means. Atone, at one. He came literally to uh, make us at one with God, to make our relationship with God at one again. You see this in John chapter 3, verse number 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, again, we have this idea in Christianity that, that God is here and he is here to condemn us. He's here to judge us. He's here to break us. He's here to banish us. It's quite the opposite, actually. There could be nothing farther from the truth. Jesus didn't come here to condemn. He came to save. He didn't come here to judge. He came here to forgive. He didn't come here to break. He came here to heal. He didn't come here to strike fear and failure into your heart. He came here to give you love and acceptance through Jesus Christ. He is the one that we need this morning. He did not come here to condemn you. He came here to save you. And through him, we have access 100% through uh, to God. You have complete access to God because of Jesus Christ. Jesus bridged the gap between us and God. He spanned the unending ocean of our sin, our failure, and our brokenness. He spanned that unending ocean. He came to us. You don't need a priest. You don't need me as a pastor. You don't need a rabbi to speak to God for you. You can come directly to God and speak to him yourself. You don't need some other person. You don't need to speak confession. You don't need anything else. If you want a relationship with God, you can have one. Have you ever been to a, a basketball game or a football game? I've been to a couple in my day. And uh, I've been to a, a couple uh, football games. Been to one basketball game. Seen the Portland Trailblazers years ago. It was really cool. But there's one thing whenever you go to a game and, and you're, like, you're like me where you don't really have that much money, right? Where you get the, the cheapest ticket you can find. How many of you like that? 
or you get the ticket that is the cheapest where you can get the closest seats. So inevitably, that means I'm in the nosebleed section, right? I'm in the section way up there. You need binoculars. You might as well be at home watching it on TV, right? So I'm here in this football game, and, uh, and I, so we get there early, you know, because that's what you're supposed to do. We get there early, and I sit down, and, you know, you, you're looking at the game. You're all excited about it. And then all of a sudden, you feel this pang of, uh, of envy in your heart and, and, and a little judgment, quite frankly, because you see these people walking past you all the way down to the bottom right at the courtside seats, right? And in your mind, you're like, well, I wish I could be like that. Wish I had money like that but I'm saving it. You know, I'm, I'm using it for a good cause. And you, I start to feel judgment because I want those seats. I want to be right where the action is. I want to be right. Where, and sometimes you see the people right on the court side. Maybe they paid lots of money and they get, they get to talk to the people. They get to talk to the players. And maybe their kid gets a signed hat or a signed jersey or signed shoes or whatever from the players on the, the basketball court. And it's, it's just like, man, I wish, I wish that was me, but I'm way up here in the nosebleed section. I can barely see. You know, that's how a lot of us feel with God. You know what Jesus came here to fix? He said, I know you're far from God. I'm going to bring you close. You don't need to be way up there in the nosebleed section. I'm going to give you the best seats in the house. I'm going to give you the seats right next to God. I'm going to give you the seats. So you, all you have to do is speak. He'll hear you. If you, want, if you want access to him, you can have complete access to him whenever you want. That's what God is like. That's what he's given us. He cares for us. He's moved us. He's removed the distance between us and God and so that we have complete access to God. He's removed the veil. He's tore the veil in half so that whenever you want to, you can have a relationship with God. There isn't a person that he favors more than you. There isn't some part of himself that he's hiding from you. There isn't a person who has better seats than you when it comes to God. There isn't a person who has more access to God than you. You see this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to to enter in the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know that the, the high priest, every year that he would walk into the temple to, to make atonement, to uh, pay for the sin of the people, uh, he would go in there. He would go in there scared like. He'd go in there trembling. He'd go in there afraid because he didn't want to do anything wrong to upset the presence of God and God to strike him down dead right at that very moment. Did you know that they would tie a rope to that high priest's ankle so that if God struck him down for some reason, they could pull him back out without having to enter in. They just... They just pull the rope. They drag that dead priest out. He'd walk in there. He's afraid. He's on bended knee. You know, what, you know what changes here, Hebrews chapter 10? He says you can have boldness to walk into the holiest uh, of Jesus because of the blood of Jesus Christ. He says you can walk right up to Jesus. You can walk right. You can enter the holy of holies. You can come directly to God and you can come with confidence. He wants to hear from you. God isn't like some people in your life where you have to step on eggshells when you're around them. You don't know if you're going to say the right thing or the wrong thing. You have to be careful what you're going to say. God isn't angry with you. He's not like that. He's not going to abandon you. You can enter boldly into the Holy of Holies, right into the presence of God. Often we hide who we are from other people. You don't have to do that with God. We fear rejection with other people. You don't have to fear rejection with God. We fear what other people might think. You don't have to fear what God's going to think. Even from those we love, we wonder if they will accept every part of who we are. God always accepts you. doesn't mean he approves of everything, but he accepts you. You can share everything with him. You can expose your deepest vulnerabilities with him. You can tell him your dreams, your struggles, and your thoughts and your failures. Not everyone uh, cares about your day. He does. Not everyone cares about your frustrations. He can't wait to hear them. The death of Jesus gave us access to God, and the resurrection of Jesus gives us new life in this world. 
You see Matthew chapter 28, verse number 6. He says, Jesus says, he, or the, the angel says, he is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. You see, the death of Jesus removed our barrier of sin, and the resurrection of Jesus entered us into his new life with God. You see, his death opened the door, and his resurrection brought us through that door. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, he gave us a new resurrected life, a new strength, a new hope, a new relationship with God. All things are become new. You see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 17. You see, he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The empty tomb changes everything now. Jesus' resurrection gives freedom to us today in this life. And we're going to get to the next life here in a couple minutes. But the, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything for you today, right now, in this life, right where you are in this moment. He gives you freedom to enjoy the beauty of this life because it was created for us by God. Freedom to enjoy not just the ups in life, but the downs in life because God is still good in the tough times. Freedom from worry to peace. From meaninglessness to purpose. Freedom from fear to faith. Freedom from, uh, from uh, shame to confidence. The resurrection doesn't just represent something that is disconnected from the human experience. It's what makes it alive. The resurrection makes this human experience we have, it's what makes it alive. You ever been to a, a movie and you watched um, a 3D movie before? How many of you guys ever watched a 3D movie? With you guys? Okay, good. Most of you guys have. I've seen a 3D movie before. And I'm a curious guy, as probably most of you are. And so we get to the movie and they say, okay, now you can put on your glasses. Put on the 3D glasses. I put them on. But I wonder to myself, what does it look like without the glasses, right? You guys ever done this? So you take the glasses off mid-movie or maybe at the very beginning. You take the glasses off and you're like, whoa, it looks completely different. It looks blurry. It's like there, there, there's just two different screens on the one screen. It's really, really blurry. And when you put the glasses on, you expect to see depth, right? You expect to see stuff popping out at you. But when the glasses are off, there's none of that. It's, it's blurry and it's flat. But when you put the glasses on, it comes to life. There's depth. There's no more blur. It comes into focus. You know what life is like before Jesus? It's like that 3D movie without the glasses. You know what life is like without Jesus? It's, it's blurry. It's flat. You can't see the purpose in it. You can't see the meaning in it. You wonder, why am I here? You wonder to yourself, God, where are you? It's so blurry to see you. I can't have a relationship with you. But because of Jesus, we have those glasses on now. We have, we have depth. We have life. We have, uh, we have focus. Jesus is the one who makes life alive. Just as Jesus raised himself from the dead, so you can be raised into newness of life with Jesus Christ. Yes, new life in this world. Here right now you can have new life. Isn't that an amazing thought that today Jesus can change your life? Today he can make a difference in your life. He can heal that marriage. He can make a difference with your children. He can lead you in the right direction. He can lead you in the transition that he needs you to go in. He knows what you're going through, and he can give you wisdom for it. He can give you peace even in the bad times. He can give you peace in the tough times, not just the good times. He can give you peace in the bad times. He gives us new life in this world, but here's the best part. He gives you new life in the world to come. You see, he is not here, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28, verse number 6. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. You know what's so great about that? You know what's so great about that? He is not here, he is risen. It means that death didn't have a hold on him. He resurrected from the dead. He conquered the grave. The, the, the sting of the grave no longer had an effect on him. 
You see, that is our story if we trust Jesus Christ. Death no longer has a hold on our soul. The grave no longer has its grip on us. The resurrection of Jesus conquered death in the grave. What Jesus gave to the world was victory over death. Just as the grave could not hold Christ, the grave cannot hold the follower of Christ. Just as Jesus lives eternally, the follower of Jesus lives eternally. The great promise of Christianity is that God has provided a way for us to spend eternity with him, yes, forever. We don't earn it, we don't work for it, we don't lose it, but we accept it, we claim it, and we believe it. That's as simple as it is. You see in Romans chapter 10 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. He he doesn't give you a long list of stipulations. He doesn't say, well, as long as you do this, 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 and this, well, then you can have it. He says, confess and believe. That is it. Why do we need to do anything else? Why do we need to add to that if Jesus has already died and resurrected? If he's conquered the grave, why do we need to try to conquer the grave all over again? We don't need to. He's already done it. You see, I have this morning this drape. Now I want to show you guys what Jesus did. This is our sin, right? This is what separates us from God. This is what separated the people of God, the Jewish people, from God for thousands of years. You know what Jesus did when he tore that veil in half? He dropped the veil, our sin, our sinfulness, our brokenness, our failure, our shame, everything and anything that kept us from God, he removed it. He didn't just remove it, he tore it in half. He obliterated it. He destroyed the grave. Everything that was keeping us from God, Jesus said, I'll bridge the gap. Everything you are not I will be for you. Everything that you should have paid, everything you owed, everything that was separate, I will pay that for you. The debt you accrued, I'll make it right. You were in the clutches of sin. Jesus said, I'll redeem you from that. You were broken. I'll give you access to God and make you whole. You were destined to spend eternity apart from God. I'll remove everything that's keeping you from God so you can spend eternity with him. Everything that was keeping us from having peace and having uh, the life that God wants us to have right now, Jesus removed that. He removed it all. That story, the story of Easter, changes everything. And it can change you.